Hey peeps, it's me, Christine, and I want to share with you a game-changing product that has improved my sleep and daily health. So let's dive in. You all know through my journey, I have struggled with sleep, being afraid of it, not getting quality sleep, and not being able to regulate my temperature throughout the night. I definitely learned the hard way, but sleep matters big time. It's when your muscles repair, your brain detoxes, and your body can work on cellular renewal. We just can't afford to miss out on an adequate amount of high-quality sleep, which is kind of hard when you have a rare disease. There's not much that I control in this real life, but one of the easiest and most effective ways to get better sleep every single night is through temperature regulation. Studies actually prove cooler temperatures lead to a deeper, more restful sleep, and that insomniacs actually lack this natural drop in core body temperature, which is what keeps them up at night. Personally, I run hot. This means that even if my room is super cold, I wake up in a pool of sweat, uncomfortable, changing my clothes several times throughout the night. It's frustrating for obvious reasons, and this is why I was so relieved to discover this transformative products from Chili. The Cube from Chili Sleep is a system that fits right over the top of your mattress and uses water to control the temperature of your bed, which helps lower your internal temperature and triggers deeper, relaxing sleep. Since water has 30 times more thermal conductivity than air, these systems are a lot more effective than just cranking up the AC. I mean, I keep my house at 65, so it has to be true. Ever since I started using the Cube system, I've noticed I fall asleep a lot faster, sleep deeper, and wake up feeling fully rested. (laughs) Now, my wife is not a polar bear like me and likes to sleep a little bit warmer, so I love that we can each have our own temperatures on either side of the bed. Chili products can range between 55 and 115 degrees. Right now, Chili is offering my audience a really great deal. When you go to chilisleep.com backslash findyourrare20, you get 20% off the Cube All Sleep Systems with Find Your Rare 20. Sleep is something we could all use more of, and we can all take small steps towards getting better sleep to improve our life in big ways. I hope you'll check out the Chili Sleep System and see why I love their product so much. Hey, peeps, we are back for another episode of Because We Are Strong. This week, we are so excited to welcome Lindsay, a rare disease warrior battling multiple conditions. She is a fierce workplace culture advocate. Lindsay is also the co-owner of Tell Me More Gifts. We have a lot to chat about today. So I'm your host, Teresa. And I'm Christine. So let's dive in. This is the Because We're Strong podcast, where we sit down every week to get your stories and insight on how to navigate this rare life. You can expect everything real and raw in the hopes that your story, along with ours, helps another person who is dealing with a similar rare struggle. So grab your favorite drink, a comfy blanket, and buckle in, because rare disease isn't for the faint of heart. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here with us today. It is my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here with you both. Thank you. Lindsay, we're so excited to have you here today. I know for me personally, creating was something that saved my life. That's how Rare came about. And additionally, I suffer from a very toxic work environment. So yeah. I'm so pumped. To that. <laughs> Before we start, though, can you tell our listeners a little bit about your journey, your diagnoses, and how you got into this rare disease world? Absolutely. Um, I'll try to keep it on track. It's got as well, actually, it's probably pretty long and windy for most people, I imagine. 
Um, I was first became noticeably ill when I was um, just after 16 or sorry, 17, and um, proceeded to see it was uh, my senior year of high school. Um, I grew up in Iowa, uh, rural, not a lot of um, access to like the advanced treatment and stuff that's common uh, more on the coast, I guess. So um, I bounced around a lot. Um, I had various doctors tell me that I had a brain disease, that I could drop dead at basically any moment. Um, nobody knew what was going on. It was all convoluted. I started missing, like, so uh, I think I wound up missing almost um, more than a third of my senior year of high school. I had to drop out of um, choir, show choir. Um, I was in deeply involved in theater and uh, competitive acting, and I had to give it all up. Um, it was dreadful. <laughs> um, and I almost wasn't allowed to graduate, except um, I managed to stay in the top of my class, even from home, which was, um, yeah, I think, an ADHD superpower, perhaps, <laughs> <laughs> manifesting there. But um, So basically, you were doing um, like, telether- like telework? Before telework was cool. Just on dial-up. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yes. <laughs> on dial-up. In fact, where where I grew up, my mom still doesn't have access to um, Wi-Fi. They don't make it where she is. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So um, pretty rural. And uh, I finally, um, the day after I graduated high school, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia by a rheumatologist, um, a traveling rheumatologist who came to town uh, once a month. <laughs> Uh, to see this story, I'm so sorry, but this story just seems to get better and better. Like, <laughs> I feel like I'm listening to one of my true kind podcasts, like you know, 1969, a traveling thing, dial up. Anyway, I'm sorry, you're I not, had to just say this is good. You're not wrong, you're you're not wrong. And that was that. Like, I, I was, I was, I had been accepted to the college that I wanted to go to, it was a private women's college in southern Missouri. Um, I was told, you know, here's your tool set for, um, you know, getting back into the flow of things. Like we didn't realize that one of the worst things I could have done is stayed in bed. And often that was like, well, you're supposed to rest, but not in that particular case, there's like a balance of activity and necessary things and, and diet and, um, stress reduction and coping mechanisms that I just had no access to. And that was when it all started. So I had to give up one of my scholarships, my theater scholarship, because I couldn't fulfill the, um, the requirements of it anymore. And there was a lot of fear and trepidation around like, will I even be able to keep to graduate? I don't know. Like, I didn't know if I'd be able to, to, to manage everything. Cause I had just, I only had like the summer to figure it out. And then I was on my own. <laughs> um, and then I managed to, with stress reduction and everything, um, like, fixing my sleeping habits, um, getting physically active in, um, very careful specific ways. And then I just sort of like went on my merry way for like a decade, <laughs> um, where any issue I had, anything that wasn't like immediately related to like a cold or a virus or something was like, well, guess it's my fibro, you know, and just sort of like kicked it down the road. And then, um, just a couple years ago when I was living in California, I, um, was able to make connection with some folks who started to talk about endometriosis. Um, and I started to hear about that in their journey. And um, in 2019, while I was undergoing a, sur a surgery, a, a pelvic surgery uh, unrelated, um, they discovered endometriosis. 
And I don't know what you know about endometriosis, but um, basically it's... I know a lot. It's the EDS endofibro. <laughs> Et al. <laughs> D, all of the exactly. above. <laughs> yeah, basically. So um, endometriosis is actually not all that rare. It's just less diagnosed because you have to have a laparoscopic surgery to formally diagnose it, uh, to diagnose it. And my gynecologist who, or the person who did the surgery was like, you have stage two. Um, you haven't been complaining of any of the symptoms that would make me think that you have anything else going on. So you're like one of the people who has it, but you're asymptomatic. And I was like, okay, cool. Like it, (laughs) it was just paper. It was stapled to my, um, uh, what do they call it? My outgoing directions for when, when you leave surgery, my discharge stuff. It was just a, a pamphlet of information about endometriosis. Nobody talked to me about it. It wasn't even like an issue. And then six months later, I was like, hmm, my symptoms don't really sound like they just fall underneath the fibromyalgia category anymore. I'm going to do a little more of my own research. And anybody with endometriosis or suspected endometriosis, I have to recommend Nancy's Nook on Facebook. Um, they've got almost a hundred thousand people in the group now. Um, so it's (laughs) conversation isn't really happening, but they've got tons and tons and tons of specific, like obscure information that I use to educate myself that I used to find a specialist who was able to, like, I took her the surgery pictures from my pelvic surgery and she looked at them and she was like, so did they just leave the cyst on your ovary? And I was like, what are you talking about? She was like, you have a cyst on your ovary. It's the size of your fist right there in the picture. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, come again? And um, so endometriosis is actually, um, (laughs) it creates its own food, which is estrogen. And it feeds on itself. And it's independent of the body's endocrine system. And it can attach um, and form endometrial tissue that will swell and bleed um, basically any time of month, but especially around um, when your own estrogen hormone cycles are um, happening and it will swell and bleed. And basically it can attach itself to interior organs. It can, like I had a friend who had it removed from their lung. <laughs> um, I, yeah. So she, my doctor looked at um, the pictures and was like, so she said this was stage two, because there's um, four stages in endometriosis um, that just describe like the complexity and the um, like how how broad it is, like how much there is and how bad it is, because somebody with stage one could have more pain than somebody with stage four. Like the stage you're in doesn't have as much to do with the pain that you experience as, um, oh gosh, that train just, that thought just left the station. Anyways. Um, Am I making sense? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So basically she was like, you don't have stage two, you have stage four. This is all over your pelvis. Like it's on your colon. It's on your, um, it, like there was all sorts of things that like she could see just from looking at the picture. She's all, she says, I, she could tell just from looking at my uterus from top down from a surgical picture that I have adenomyosis as well, which isn't really a surprise for a lot of people with endo. Um, but all of this adds up to really, really freaking painful um, like obnoxious (laughs) symptoms that react to food that I eat, like soy, um, like estrogen. I'm on estrogen suppressants. I have hot flashes. Um, I'm not at an age where hot flashes are really 
appropriate, but I'm basically in, in chemically induced menopause. And my insurance company hasn't, has been fighting my, um, the medication that makes it so I can walk every month. Um, oh and they've been fighting it since January. So they've been sending me like <laughs> samples <laughs> so that I don't have to like not be able to walk. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's, I love insurance. We're so like, I just love it. Oh my God. It's, (laughs) it's, it's exactly what it is. It's health insurance. It's not healthcare. And I said it and I meant it. Um, anyways, uh, and then that leads me to Ehlers-Danlos type three, um, which I am pretty sure y'all are familiar with. Um, do you want me to talk about like my experience of what I understand it to be? hundred percent. Hey, I have Ehlers-Danlos. Maybe you can explain it to me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> and I'm suspected of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so type three, um, there's a lot of different types of Ehlers-Danlos and um, a lot of them can be far more medically serious than my um, symptoms are presenting right now. So I'm grateful for that. Um, but my understanding of type three is it's the only kind that is, that doesn't currently have a genetic, a known genetic test or genetic component. Um, so it has to be diagnosed, um, by a series of other tests. And I found out that my rheumatologist who I'd been seeing for three years in Oakland had actually already diagnosed me with EDS as soon as he saw me, but he didn't tell me until naturally just he just gave me a treatment plan that encompassed both my fibro and EDS. And he told me I was hypermobile and just left it at that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and, and it wasn't until I went to him and I was like, Hey, I had a list of information that I printed out. And I was like, here's stuff that feels really relevant to me that I haven't heard anybody in my care team talk about. <laughs> Let me walk it back. I got a care team. <laughs> And that's so helpful for like keeping your information and things in line and everything all in one place because it it takes holistic support to to function with a lot of these things. And basically, EDS is, uh, well, the version that I have is uh, an excess of things like collagen and the connective tissues of the body um, that surround the joints, that help cushion the joints, that help... um, like protect joints from overextending, um, or things like that. But my joints, um, have a much broader range of motion in pretty much every direction. Um, and sometimes (laughs) when I explain it to people like that, a lot of times people are like, Oh, is that fun? No, it's fun. Um, not a party trick. (laughs) It's not a party trick. Um, I used to think it was though, until I figured out that like, Hey, why does, when I do that party trick, my hand hurts for like a week after that's weird. Maybe I should stop doing that. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. Um, yeah. And so a lot of times my joints will, um, especially the ones, uh, like certain muscles will be too loose and certain muscles will be too tight because they over overcompensate. So a lot of times my, um, joints will be chronically popping out because they're I'm trying to get them back to a state where they should stay yep, and sub, the muscles subluxing is the best right oh my gosh when, <laughs> nothing better than like throwing in the middle of like a, a telework meeting right like throwing my elbow to the screen not meaning to but like to get my elbow to unlock yep. I have to like snap it back and everyone's like yep. what are you doing I'm like no it's fine you just I'll just continue to be the weirdo. 
I am made of I'm made of Legos. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the stairs you get when you touch your thumb to your wrist. <laughs> yep. Yep. And yeah, so that's my experience of EDS. Also, um, about as much fun as it sounds like y'all have. <laughs> <laughs> so how did all of this affect your everyday life? Oh my God, it changed everything. Um, I mean, I experienced very significant ego death at 17, um, where there was a significant... Hey, Lindsay, I, yeah. can, you t- can you define ego death? Yes. So um, ego death, for me, the way that I'm using it here, I mean it in a way that is like the version of myself that that I have in my head, the vision of the person who, like how I define myself, died. <laughs> um, it's a, it's no, a, I, it's I like love a, the way you just <laughs> use that as a therapist and as a patient, <laughs> someone who's, someone who's, ego died at 27. I, I just loved it. Yes. Thank you. I, I'm really glad that you identify with that as well. Um, and I, I, as a person who is pretty, honestly, I spend more time in self-reflection and like active, actively doing like psychological work on myself more than anybody I know. Um, and I, my degrees in holistic psychology, um, I've been in many various forms of therapy for over a decade and it's, Part of that, I think, is why I'm, why I'm the way, the where, the where, the way. Yes, all of the above. The where, the way that I am. <laughs> <laughs> so at 17, I experienced the uh, like a bookmark moment where there's like there's a before and there's an after point in my reference when I think back about like now this is a time when I could do things and this is a time when I couldn't. And there was, I was absolutely depressed. I had so many doctors that were just like, you're in pain because you're depressed. And I was like, leave me alone. That's not true. (laughs) Um, But of course, nobody listens. Um, And uh, I had to learn how to say no. I had to learn how to be in college with a bedtime, (laughs) With 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 a schedule and a dietary list of things that, you know, at a time when other people are like exploring their freedom, I didn't feel free. Um, I had to learn how to navigate a body that had completely changed and a mind. I I was very, um, my personality changed a lot. I lost a lot of my friends. I had, I had one friend, friend, well, this is high school. Actually, I don't want to talk about high school. Um, but you know, the people around me were, they made it clear when they couldn't understand and when it was too stressful for them to be around me as a sick person, um, without, you know, who, you know, showing up at the lunch table is like, well, the last specialist I said needed, said that they needed to cut my head open like stat or I could drop dead. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Um, you know, that, that changes you. Um, and I, started listening to the messages that were coming to me about um, sick people and being sickly and chronic illness. And all of a sudden I had this label that was going to follow me forever. That doesn't, there's no cure. There's no, you know, um, it's, 
research is shoddy. Um, a lot of people don't understand it because there's, um, until very recently, I had no visible characteristics of any like mobility aids or anything. Um, like it was like being invisible and having such a completely different experience from everyone around me. Um, I always had to throw the brakes. I always had to say, I'm too tired. I can't, or I can't do that. Let me, let me try. Can we do it a different way? I had, you know, asking for accommodations, asking, you know, going to teachers and telling them like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to sit in your class. (laughs) Like here's, it's very humbling. And, um, uh, hard. And so in part of the many times I feel like I've experienced ego death since then is like letting go of these versions of what it's supposed to look like, because I couldn't be happy with my life if I was living it the way other people expected me to be able to function. And it wasn't until I was in a position to well, last year, actually, when I got laid off um, because of the pandemic, um, and then I switched um, career tracks entirely to go entrepreneurial, um, start my own business. And it wasn't until I no longer had to spend all of my energy dragging my ass into offices and back home and still trying to feed myself while still trying to like take care of myself while taking care of my job and, and, you know, taking care of my relationships and stuff. It wasn't until I was allowed to work from home. It wasn't until the world suddenly allowed the accommodations that I'd always needed to start happening. It wasn't until then that I was able to tap into creative juices and energy that I didn't have before because I was spending all of it, um, living my life the way able-bodied people Oh my gosh, I can't say it one more time for the people in the back. I have to jump in here yes. because I am I just want to say everyone, this may be like an unpopular POV, so get ready for it. I am truly from the bottom of my heart so sad the pandemic is coming to an end. And now before everyone jumps on me, as someone who is sick, think about how much more I was able to access my friends, my family. I was able to be understood in a way that never was before, right? This idea of constantly being afraid of getting sick, like that's real for us. And like you said, accommodations, like I have I have not seen the light of 7 a.m. I can't even tell you. I am up and doing a journal and like, who am I? But I don't have to deal with, you know, I can sit when I need to sit. I can I can lay down for 15 minutes, which resets me completely. So yes, yes, yes. And like I said, unpopular POV. Of course, I'm happy that like we're getting through it. But I'm very scared that unfortunately, we're not going to learn and continue these changes. I, I feel like I'm going to be pushed back to work. And that's scary. It's, it is scary, um, especially because, you know, it wasn't until I had the freedom to access all of my, um, like specialty equipment, all of my, um, like PT stuff. Like I I can't drag all of my, all of the stuff that I need to keep my body functioning into the office and back home every day. Like I, I would have to like pack a car (laughs) because I never know what's going to happen. But like, that's what I was doing because there was no other option that it was required of me to be there. And since I've been able to work from home, I've been able, you know, to, um, 
to actually explore working in more meaningful ways where I can enact, enact a change that is more meaningful and to me than what I was doing before. Um, and that's part of something that my co-founders and I insisted on building into the framework of our company because we come, well, um, myself and my co-founder, Stephanie, both come from startup operations backgrounds. So we are both familiar with running operations um, from size like 15 to 200 or so. And um, we always got hired late. Like nobody bothered to think about how the systems that people were just running with and like moving fast and breaking things was impacting the people themselves and doesn't bode well for the long term. And so, you know, I really hear you, Christine, because I, something that I'm dedicated to, that I am dedicated to bringing with me out of the pandemic is this absolute for ferocious loyalty to my boundaries and to finding work that will allow me to live. Because <laughs> I can't. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just can't. want to know if you'll be my accountability partner for those boundary <laughs> things. Because let me tell you, as of today, <laughs> as I broke down because of work and the yeah. and the ableism that went on, yeah. I can say that um, I'm very worried about my boundaries. And so Absolutely. accountability partners, we're doing it here, folks. Right. Well, and it's not always, that's the most frust. that's, well, that's not, that's one of the most frustrating things, right? Is that ableism is so internalized and part of our culture that like, I, I'm so ableist to myself. Like I, I catch myself yes. every day, multiple times a day being really cruel to myself. Um, and really uh, like things that I wouldn't expect of a friend things that I wouldn't say to a friend. Um, and I've been working on improving my self-talk actively since mm, 18. Wow. Hey, Lindsay, can yeah. we hold that thought right there? We're going to head on to um, a quick commercial and we will be right back. Calling all Spoonies and Chronic Illness Warriors. We are so excited to show you the latest design at Rare, designed specifically for inclusion and rare disease fighters and chronic illness warriors. Our accessible crew neck hoodie is meant to bridge the gap between rare disease and the rest of the world. Going for constant infusions and blood draws is hard, and we are on a mission to bring the human element back into the sterile walls of the hospital. We work together with NYP at Lawrence nurses to make sure each detail and accessibility placement was just right. Our patent pending accessible crew neck is the first of its kind to combine function, accessibility, and forward fashion, as well as comfortability. Each crew neck features two port access points with zippers, allowing each access during treatment. One of our favorite details is the two hidden access openings on the sleeves, perfectly placed for IV infusion access. Each opening also features a hidden zipper as well as a cool outer button detail. Rare life is hard, but hopefully now it can be a little easier. To pre-order your accessible sweatshirt, go to findyourrare.com. And we're back. So before we were talking about self-talk and the, you know, I know Lindsay, you are going to go into a lot of that for us, but before we do, can you talk a little bit about how fiercely passionate you are about the workplace inclusion and whether or not that was something that was always um, a passion of yours or has your disease kind of given that to you? Thank you. 
I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I've been aware of needing it's, I feel like it's more of an awareness that not everybody functions the same way and everybody's needs are different. And uh, for instance, I watched my mom become disabled um, by arthritis. Uh, and we actually share a lot of similar diagnoses. Um, and so I watched her fight for disability, get denied disability, um, like all of this stuff. I saw I saw her sense of self collapse inward. Like I saw the people around her like her work, she only knew how to do physical labor. So she was really screwed. Um, and just watching the support around that collapse and seeing how, um, you know, in my household, you can fix just about anything with duct tape and WD-40. <laughs> um, at least that's, you know, that's, that's. The oh, and my wife. Oh my God. You and my wife. Um, I want to, like she tinkers and um, what does she call it? Oh, yeah. oh my God. When it's like, it's together. It's working, but it's it's a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that like I watched her cobble together these um, accommodations for herself so that she could continue to live a life that was meaningful to her, even though she's disabled. And I saw that from like my teenage years um, moving forward. And then I got sick um, with um, like mystery illnesses, and then um, so it was important to me. From a familial standpoint, I was just like, this is the rest of the world doesn't see these things. It's I have to open my mouth and say something about it because I'm comfortable with that more so than a lot of other people oftentimes. And I just never stopped. So I just get louder. And I, <laughs> I love that. Oh my God. That was great. All you, all you young people out there, just get louder. Yeah. Oh my God. That might be a new shirt. Oh my God. I was just going to say, oh my gosh, pause. If you don't hear me, everyone, I am legitimately drawing right now. Nice. <laughs> Props, don't worry. I give good props. Um, my second part of that of that question was about workplace climate and culture. Yes. I don't think it's talked about enough. And no. when they're toxic, it is so hurtful, especially for the chronic illness community who, you know, the doctors say minimize your stress. <laughs> and can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So I've actually been um, paid to not sue some employers who have hired me and then failed to accommodate me after the job that they hired me to do was not the job that they had me do. Um, That's so frustrating. It's <laughs> super frustrating, um, especially because I was super broke and needed the we money. Will be like- <laughs> we will be talking offline. We will be talking offline. I just want everyone to know I'm taking action. Nice. <laughs> Um, and I, you know, I had, um, experiences. I also live with, um, CPTSD, um, which is a a type of, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, that impacts a lot of my other, um, like cognitive abilities. Um, and that was made worse by being in environments where I had either bosses who, um, like I was, you know, I'm sure you have a whole slew of, of favorite things. I just remember like one of mine was I had a boss who he was just, I've, I've, I've been fortunate in my life to have many bosses that have been 
incredibly instructive and helpful. And this person was incredibly instructive in a destructive way. Um, and just, he tore down all my confidence. I felt like I couldn't do anything. I couldn't contribute at all. And, um, if I was, if my butt wasn't in the, in the chair, in the office, if he couldn't like come in anytime he wanted and see me working. And if I wasn't working on what he wanted, like, it was like micromanaging plus not having, I'm getting chills right now. No joke, Lindsay, because I literally got an evaluation today that was like, dated things first of all they were wrong but like times that I came into virtual meetings like quote unquote late and I'm like what like so I just know that experience where someone's breathing down your neck because they don't yep. want to accommodate yeah and I I mean I can't even imagine that happening continuing to happen on remotely like that's just cruel <laughs> I don't I I'm really sorry that you're um living through that experience um I hope there's a, a happy resolution for you some point soon. You are my happier resolution. Well, at some point soon, we're gonna get we're gonna get rare, totally like going and getting yeah. super oh, rich, yeah. and she won't have to work at her job. Anymore. Yeah, <laughs> and Lindsay's gonna get them to pay me for not suing them. Everyone's exactly. happy. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay can get you, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like those uh, commercials hey. at night where it's like, you need a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, I mean, I've been, I've had to figure out how to work the systems that are broken because that's the only way to get by. And it doesn't always work in my favor either, but I'm happy to, you know, offline give you like share, um, you know, the process that I went through. And I think that, you know, more, more to the point though, is that, um, these conversations, the conversation that we're having about accessibility and about like, um, uh, workplace expectations, ableism, like they're so broad and, um, it's such a higher level conversation than the rest of the world is actually able to have right now, because their understanding is still that people who have different abilities are broken and must be fixed. If they can't be fixed, they're not able to be part of society in a meaningful way, unless they conform. So can our listeners hear more about your passion for constructive self-talk? Absolutely. So it goes along hand in hand with the medical versus social model of disability. And the medical model of disability is the one that Americans are accustomed to. It's what comes to mind when you hear the word disability. Maybe somebody in a wheelchair, maybe somebody who needs help, um, you know, getting dressed. Maybe it's somebody who, like, we have this picture of externalized disability and there's, it's a lot like going to therapy. There's a stigma, strong stigma attached to being ill or not being in, or let me take it back. There's a strong stigma attached to not being in perfect health. And the social model of disability says that people with diseases, people with different abilities aren't broken, they're different. And society can and should adjust to allow all members of society to participate in meaningful ways. Yes. So tying in with that, um, when I was first going through 
a lot of the medical stuff when I was um, in my late teens um, and then later 20s, uh, again, uh, slash early 30s, I guess. Um, And I noticed that Americans talk about illness like war. We talk about it like we are fighting diseases. We're fighting endometriosis. We're fighting EDS. We're fighting fibromyalgia. Um, You know, if somebody passes away because of a condition related to um, their illness, they'll say they lost their battle. With oh my gosh, disease. Lindsay, I don't know where you come from, but I love you. <laughs> Chills. <laughs> I, I love y'all too. This is, I'm so, I'm so happy to, to be sharing my thoughts with you because they've been living in my head for a really long time. And, you know, how is somebody supposed to achieve peace um, or any sort of healing and like that. And then (laughs) there's that, that tricky healing word, because those of us who have incurable diseases, um, what is healing? Um, you know, it, it's sort of, um, the only words we have, or the majority of the words we have to talk about illness, sickness, disease in America, perpetuate a level of existence that helps keep people with different abilities out of their own power because our language boxes us out and in at the same time. Oof. Got me in the feels on that one. <laughs> I do. I'm in my feel I'm in my feels too for so many reasons. Do you want to go first, Tico, or do you want me to go? No, you can go. <laughs> <laughs> um so the first thing I want to address is the uh, the idea about like the war. Like that hits my very core for a few reasons. But one of them I was thinking too is it insinuates that there's an end. And for some people, there's not like the three of us, we will be sick for the rest of our life. So I don't want to be in a war. And if anything, I'm in a civil, like I'm in a civil war of anything, like legitimately, I didn't even know. I'm just the battleground for like my body to, you know, have a civil war. But like, yes, I think you're completely on point with this idea. And because of that, when you are chronically ill, because we don't, society doesn't know where to put you, right? Like you're not fighting to win. You're not on, you know, your deathbed. So you're, you are, you're just invisible. Yeah. And you're also not valid. <laughs> you're not allowed to be valid. Um, Duh. I mean, Casper wasn't validated either. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. So this relates back to self-talk because we're surrounded by messages that we are at war with ourselves when we are unhealthy or when we're sick. Um, Anything less than um, being perfectly able-bodied 24-7, which as we know is a complete fallacy anyways, but a lot of people who have never had a long-term illness or um, have never had Um, someone in their circle who was successfully supported and accommodated for versus, you know, move relegated to the sides um, or disappears because they just can't deal with um, trying to make it work in that network. Like there's all sorts of divisive talk and sorry, I don't think that was very clear, 
but um, it comes back to the messages that we tell ourselves day in and day out. And I have self-talk. I understand that not everybody has like an internal monologue, so that might not make sense for everybody. But um, the words that we say and the words that we read, the things that the messages we hear in the lyrics on music, it's we're surrounded by these messages that if you aren't able to, you know, climb a mountain or, you know, or, well, actually that's not even thing. If you aren't able to consistently like wake up at early and like move a mountain, you mean move a mountain. If you yes. cannot move a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank you. Um, the language that we surround ourselves with matters just as much as the language that we use internally. I think at least that's what I believe. Um, and so it's been very important to me that I treat myself with the respect that I try to show others, um, especially my friends and support network who um, really um, are happy to accommodate. And that's the thing is that there are people and situations and jobs and workplaces and relationships where you don't feel broken, where you feel whole, where you feel like what you contribute um, matters, where you know, all of these things are possible, but the model that many of our systems are still being built on doesn't support more in-depth conversations because it puts, like many things, it puts it in like a binary. You're well or you're not. You're able or you're not. Um, and there's actually a whole spectrum of ability and things that people have um, because, and this also it riles my feathers because of my own internalized ableism. So I'm working on, on it by saying it, expressing this out loud is that people shouldn't have to work to be worthy of life. Um, yes, 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 yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that is hard for me to believe of myself. I can believe it for other yes. people, but I cannot believe it 100%. for myself. You're speaking Could, to me right now. Like, couldn't to my core. <laughs> Actually, a few things though, Tico. I was wondering about this if you got the same feeling, but like when you were talking about um, that you, about like what you bring to the table kind of thing, like that's exactly what I built Rare to be. Like, my ultimate dream, right, is to be the you know how like Google they say is like the best workplace and it's like a, the model for like greatness or yeah, workplace sure. whatever they have like a jungle gym whatever <laughs> I don't know. Um but like my <laughs> my perfect world right rare is the model of inclusion because inclusion is so much more than accommodations. It is about adopting a climate and a culture. Um and that's what I want to not only have within my own brand but I want to like eventually like, you know, have a team that gets hired to like go out and, and teach this because this is so Hi. much more than just like, <laughs> that was yes. Lindsay's going to be on this team. <laughs> oh yeah, Lindsay, no, come on. We're going to merge. Get to guys know the complete merger. Um, but no, and I know that this is though very important to you as well, which is another reason I was excited to talk about you because I know when we get into um, a little bit about the business you uh, co-founded, I know that this is actually in your bio, which like just warms my my personal feathers, I guess, if we're talking about feathers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, I think that you are 100% right. And even now, like I, I feel like it's all about, I am, everything I do now, consider that I could ne- not do it 
when I was healthy. I might not be able to keep things organized in the moment, but I have a skill set that is way, way, way more valuable for me yep. than being able to like color coordinate, you know, my planner. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and that wouldn't have been, that's literally broken free because of getting sick. And I think you said something similar to that about getting sick and tapping your creativity. Yeah, absolutely. I, I a whole other skill set was unlocked because I was no longer focusing on strengthening my weaknesses. I was foc- I'm focusing on fulfilling my strengths and and exploring what I'm able to do and the things that that are accessible to me instead of trying to fix things that just aren't working with a system that like I was never I've had jobs that I I've loved and I've I've been super happy in plenty of places and at the same time it wasn't until I was able to work from home that I was able to get a handle on exactly how much of my time and energy it takes to keep my body and my mind functional it's roughly 80% of my energy every single day like every day I have to do either physical therapy or um you know I just like I imagine plenty of people have have kids or or pets or, or <laughs> hobbies, I guess, except those, uh, a hobby applies, it implies that you can pick it up and put it down, which isn't what's happening here. Um, it also implies choice. Also not what's happening here. Okay. I can't wait anymore. Can you tell us more pun intended about tell me more gifts? How did that come about? And what is it? Absolutely. I'm so happy to tell you. So tell me more gifts is a company that I co-founded, um, to, meet a niche need of creating a concierge gifting service. So basically, we match gift shoppers with vetted, trusted American-based artists to make 100% from scratch custom gifts that tend to really um, fall, uh, which tend to be and people love them. We definitely made some moms cry on Mother's Day in a happy way. <laughs> um, the people who receive our gifts often um, will turn around and give a gift to someone else because they had such a fun time with it. It was such a fun experience. Um, and we're also working on a, a bot service that will um, sort of like a BuzzFeed quiz that's a little more fun about like you can take the quiz and just find out a couple gifts that might work for, you know, your upcoming friend's birthday or the third wedding you've been invited to this year, or (laughs) you're getting married and you need to give a gift to the entire wedding party. Um, but you don't want another monogrammed thing. (laughs) Um, so it's a great way to gift, um, a different way, you know, uh, something you get, a a gift that is, often reflective of the relationship between the people, um, between the giver and the giftee. So it's really cool and rewarding to watch people, um, you know, develop relationships with the artists that they um, continue to patronize after um, their tell me more gifts order, which is really exciting. um, And will often uh, continue to shop with our artists um, elsewise. And then, we provide the service, a concierge service that's not just to the shoppers, but also to artists because artists often are in charge of all of their own marketing, all of the communication with their clients. You have to 
build and create the relationships with your clients. And a lot of times those aren't necessarily skills that artists want (laughs) Um, to be good at. Like the majority of the artists that we talk to want to do whatever they can to streamline their process so that they can spend the most time doing what they love, which is making their art. And so that's something that our service offers is we have a people team that's there to help um, make sure that all communications with the people who are shopping with us are, you know, getting a, like a professional service. Um, And the artist only has to worry about making great art. It's a pretty great situation. Um, we that were able sounds to... like a great situation. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, we, we were able to pay um, artists who, um, you know, last year in all of the, throughout the majority of the pandemic. fall last year, yeah, the, the yeah. pandemic, during the pandemic. And that felt, I mean, that meant the world to us. That was part of the goal, you know, is to make it so that there is an additional income stream for an additional way to get the word out there about really unique, interesting art. And also giving gifts is, can be stressful and there can be a lot of pressure and expectation. And if it doesn't land, there can be offense. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, at at the worst. um, And it's sort of like, oh, do they not get me? Like, do they not, did they not pay attention? Like that's, that's the feeling that we hear a lot when a gift doesn't land is like, you know, they didn't feel that somehow invalidated the recipient. And we have a way to make really meaningful gifts that tend to land really well. Like for instance, one of our artists um, made a set of laser cut coasters that were inlaid with like um, metallic stuff. And she, um, was answering, she was making it based off of, um, a husband of 40 years whose wife had been purchasing all of the gifts for their many children. And it was like a family thing that, you know, dad, dad's gifts are, you know, not necessarily on point. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, so it was really fun for him to, fill out our gift creation form. And then we matched that with an artist who then like looked at the answers because he was able to give us some really beautiful, interesting stuff about his wife of 40 years who he loves and wants to show uh, care through giving, through giving gifts, through giving a, a, a gift that lands well. <laughs> I love that so much. Yeah. And it turns out that the set that she designed sight unseen matched the interior of the house perfectly. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and that's the feeling that, that we keep getting from people who place orders with us is like, it's, it's um, a lot of times it feels like a little bit of a risk, right? It's because you don't know necessarily what you're getting. Um, you know, there's, there's a like, will will they like it? And like, they're going to like it. And if they don't, we're going to fix it. <laughs> I love that attitude too. That's like pure customer service right Absolutely. there. Absolutely. That's how you got to do That's how, that's how I believe. So we, we spent a lot of time trying to build so an organization that was meaningful and that did social good um, and also that was good to us because um, especially my co-founder Stephanie, she and I work um, in lockstep. We're very, very close. And um, even though she's um, 
in a different time zone than me. Like we still have a great working system where we'll do like energy check-ins where we're like, what's your buy-in right now? (laughs) Christine and I are the same way. So she's, she's on the East coast. I'm on the West coast and we check in with each other throughout the whole day. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we're like, we want to design a workplace that supports us getting important work done while also being kind to ourselves from a from a human perspective remembering that we're only human we are imperfect naturally imperfect (laughs) and that's the way like I, I I try to embrace that and try to be like I am perfectly imperfect et cetera, and just you know try to go from there and and be kind to ourselves but we also try to it was important to us to walk the talk of building in um, systems in the workplace that supported a fully remote team and endorsed them doing their work however they needed to get it done so long as the end product was satisfactory to um, all of the people who had buy-in. And that hasn't failed us yet. That's so awesome. I love it. Where can people find you to connect with you? You can find us on Instagram or Facebook or our website. They're all the same handle, Tell Me More Gifts. If you look for our icon, you'll see a crow. It's a a blue crow on a yellow background. And we pick crows because they have, um, well, I could talk to you for an hour and do my own TED Talk on (laughs) on crows because – I'm I'm fascinated by them, but um, they're incredibly intelligent and one of the um, only animals that is known to give gifts to humans. That's crazy. I don't even like birds, and I like that. <laughs> yeah, they're they're seen as the deliverers of gifts, and also they really know how to take advantage of a good opportunity. So that's true. <laughs> well, Lindsay, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and helping us bridge the gap between rare disease and the rest of the world. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure to be here. As always, thank you to our listeners every week who tune in and listen and learn about some of the rarest fighters there are. Until next time, live large and stay rare. Catch us next week for another episode. To continue the conversation about rare disease and all the unknowns that comes with it, join our Facebook group. Want even more rare? Become a VRP member on Patreon and learn more about our stories or how to share yours by visiting bwspod.com.